0: tomorrow and you need just our most recommended episodes, just the ones you really need between now and then.
1: Exactly. It is all there for you. You can browse by category. Check out the playlist at www.interviewboss.com.au forward slash podcast.
2: You know, we still might make mistakes here and there, but you're going to be much better off just doing the simple things correctly when you're educated on them. And really when you break it down, it doesn't have to be complex, it can be simple.
1: Hey everyone and welcome back to Interview Boss. My name is Emma and I'm a radio journalist who's teamed up with my sister to give you advice, inspiration and support when you're looking for a new job. Sarah is a HR and recruitment professional and together we're excited to give you all the tips, tricks and behind the scenes knowledge to help you in your career.
0: Hey Em and welcome back everyone. Em, who is getting a big fat special interview boss shoot your shot shout out this week?
1: To Hudson who gets extra bonus points because he made a lot of puns in his message to us. He bought us three coffees and he says, Emma and Sarah, I've been farming professionally for the past five years and have been struggling to get out of the field. Pun not intended and into something with more stability for a while. I found yours podcast in September and it totally changed my approach to job interviews. I don't come naturally... Wait, was that you trying to say y'all? Yeah. Were you trying to pronounce that? <laughs> y'all. Y'alls with an S on the end.
0: I know. I know, but it's hard to
1: pronounce. It y'alls. doesn't work with our accent. You almost have to be like y'all. Y'alls. I found Y'all's podcast No, what was that? In September, and it totally changed my approach to job interviews. I don't come naturally to bragging about myself, so I find interviews hard. Between that, trying to change fields and general disrespect for farmers and blue-collar workers as a whole, I was having trouble landing anything. He did it again, but that one he didn't mean. But I was like, Hudson, you've done it again. Finally, after months of applying and interviewing, I was offered and accepted a non-profit job I'm really excited about. The environment seems great and it offers the stability I've been looking for. Also, you wouldn't believe how thrilled I am to not have to work outside in all kinds of weather anymore. Thanks for putting this podcast out there. It truly has been such a help to me. And I don't know if I would have gotten here without y'all. Hudson. Isn't that the Amazing.
0: best? I think he would have. I think he absolutely would have.
1: But I'm glad that we could help and make it a little bit easier and like give him a shortcut to do things his way and to get out of that field. I love it. Now, this week, we have a very exciting guest joining us on the show, longtime friend of the show we've been in each other's DMs for a long time trying to get this off the ground. We are going to be speaking to Will Kant, who is a senior financial advisor. Now, he's all about empowering people with their money to help them lead a better life. And we know that money is something a lot of people are scared about or uneducated about or have bad relationships with. So Will's whole philosophy is about Coaching people to help them with their money, but not just all about, you know, money discussions, invest this, put your money here. He's about understanding your money habits and the psychology of why we do things and the emotions behind money. He has a really holistic approach to his advice. Yeah, we're really excited to have Will on the show
0: today. We know that a lot of our listeners talk to us about the pay rises that they've gotten or the goals they have for their career and the things that they want to achieve. And a lot of the time, it has to do with what. what What does that job do for you financially and what are the lifestyle translations that that can make for you? But it can be really easy to get that pay rise, get really excited and treat yourself. So we want to make sure that all of our listeners who get those amazing new jobs, make sure that they put their money to work for them consciously.
1: Yes. Now, disclaimer, while Will is a registered financial advisor, this is general advice only. It doesn't take into account anyone's personal circumstances and isn't tailored to you. So, if you need specialised financial advice, book in with a advisor.
0: Yeah. Don't make any drastic decisions on the basis of a podcast, not smart financial decisions.
1: This is for inspiration only. So Will, thanks so much for joining us, big friend of the show, excited to have you on today to talk all things financial literacy, money goals, perfect for the new year.
2: Yeah, first time speaker, long time listener (laughs) for the Interview Boss podcast, Uh super happy to be here, Um, it's going to be good, I hope we can delve into a little bit about people's money, why people make decisions and, and the ins and the outs of it all.
0: Awesome, and can we claim any help for you landing your most recent awesome job or not really?
2: Uh, maybe, but maybe. <laughs> up there. I do have some funny stories about that actually, <laughs> but um, we'll see. I'll, I'll I'll give you 10%. I'll give you 10% okay, of process. Yeah, uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> Tiny bit of inspiration. And tell us what was your job seeking process like? Were you sort of hardcore looking? It just sort of popped up when you weren't expecting it? What was it all like?
2: Yeah, it was definitely the latter. So the previous place I worked, I was really, really happy. Loved it. So I am a financial advisor. And the last place I was at, I was it was a phenomenal team you know young vibrant in the cbd in sydney absolutely loved it and it was just by chance that i saw the job that i'm with now what i do now is we specialize in expats all right? so the organization specializes in aussies living all over the world now financial advice is really really regulated so if you came to me and said you know i'm gonna move to france or something most places can't advise that person they can only advise really domestically here in australia whereas at all wealth management we have that specialty where we can actually help expats so i think we're up to 35 or 36 countries now um clients all over the world yeah and ever growing it's every day it's you know you get an inquiry. Hey, we live in the Bahamas. <laughs> we need some help. You know, hey, I've uh, just got a job offer in Dubai. What do I do? So it's really, really interesting.
1: Your brain must be frazzled trying to keep up with all of these legislations and rules in all these different countries.
2: Yeah, there's definitely been
0: times where I've said to clients,
2: look, let me get back to you on that one. <laughs> let me make sure I give you the right answer.
1: And so was that
0: something you knew you wanted to get into? And it was like, oh, wow, this is an opportunity to specialize. Or did you not even know that that was kind of a thing?
2: No, I knew that there were very, very few people that did it, but it wasn't. Something I ever wanted to specialize in. But then look, I I love travel. Me and my wife, we love travel and we try and plan as many trips as we can a year. But yeah, look, it's it's never something I really thought about too much. But when I saw this job offer, I thought to myself, how do they do it? Like how do they specialise in expats? What's the way that they, you know, have that knowledge and how does it all work? And I reached out and went through the interview process and then they offered me the job and it was really bittersweet because it was really sad to leave my last place. And, you know, I remember having that conversation with the bosses and said, look, you know, I'm sorry, but I've got this job offer. And, and you know, there's but it wasn't you. Yeah. 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 It's, it's me,
0: not you. It's just someone else <laughs> is better. <laughs> How did you weigh up that decision? I think a lot of listeners can relate to that of going, I've got this job offer, but there's pros and cons. Like, you know, maybe the money's different on both sides. Maybe the work-life balance is different. It's very hard to kind of directly compare. What was that like?
2: Well, it was really difficult, but I I weighed up my future progression and where I want to go and where I saw it. And look, even though the the job that I was at, there was tons of progression there. But with this new job, there was potential to live overseas, work overseas. So that's something me and my wife have thought about maybe moving to New York for a year. That's been on our cards. But yeah, obviously, you know, money comes down to it and that's important. And that was something that was, you know, a change as well too, which was going to be beneficial. But there were other factors as well. I now work from home 100% as opposed to, I live in Wollongong and I was traveling up to Sydney a couple of times a week. So just a bit of time back in my day, about four hours each day that I did it. Um, I was up nice and early on the train and the train back. And um, yeah, so there are a few factors that added up, but at the end of the day, it was just the right move for me at the right time. And when I got the offer, I kind of knew that already. I knew this will be a good move and what I want to do.
0: Sometimes it's like, you know, the truth, you have to allow yourself to go with your gut and get your head to kind of get out of the way, to be like, I feel
1: bad resigning. (laughs) And how did you go in the actual interview process. Are you a cool, calm, collected dude? Are you full of nerves? Did you say anything rogue? What happened?
2: So I'm pretty cool and calm and collected. I like to think anyway, but I do have a funny story. So when I first reached out to, to Jared, who is the owner of the business, for about 12, maybe 15 emails back and forth, I was spelling his name OD at the end, whereas he spells it with an AD. And I just didn't realize, I don't know what happened. So all these emails back and forth for two weeks. And then after two weeks, I um, realized I I got a message from him and I said, Oh, I've been typing his name wrong. I've been spelling his name wrong for two weeks. So, I sent him an email as quick as I could and said, I'm so sorry. I just realized I've been spelling your name wrong for the past dozen emails. And he was, his reply was, yeah, it's good that you called that out. And then now, now we laugh about it. And so my advice there is you can make mistakes leading into job interviews and, you know, you can make mistakes and you can still progress through it. You know, you just own up to your mistakes. And he said, it kind of put me to the top of the list. The fact that I did that, I said straight away, oh, sorry, I've just realized, you know, I made this mistake. So.
1: Because the, the actual act of spelling someone's name wrong isn't going to get you axed from the list. Like, it's a bit like, oh, God, could he have read it properly? But it's not going to get you axed and, like, it's doomsday and you you don't stand a chance. thing that would add on to the
0: list, like, you, I would then be looking for other examples of lack of attention to detail. Does that make sense? Like it would be like, oh, this is a real life example that I've witnessed. Is there other things that point to that that's a thing or is it just a blip? And so, yeah, you're right, Em, it's not, you're not going to rule someone out on that basis. But if you had gotten to an interview, I think he would have been asking you some questions about that, I would say, to be like, are you going to spell all of our clients' names wrong and yeah. piss them
2: all off? It was as soon as I did it and I was telling one of my friends we we're having a beer and he goes, yeah, I'm sure your resume says too, you know, will care, financial advisor, skills, attention to Detail. <laughs> I said I'm pr- pretty sure it does. So uh yeah, it was a bit of a fault. But you know, it just goes to show that you can overcome mistakes, you know, because it's to me, I was mortified. I was like, oh my god, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I've been spelling you name say wrong to, him, for so long. to be
1: fair, who spells their name with an A D? Like, <laughs> no, come <I'm>, on, Jared. <laughs> my boss now.
2: I can't be saying that. I, <laughs> I want to keep the job, so I, I don't want to be too rude. <laughs>
1: no, smart man, smart man. <laughs> I love that though.
0: It's the behavioral element of you're able to show, hey, my character trait is I own up to my mistakes and I'm okay being a bit vulnerable and apologizing. I've occasionally had people who've, yeah, like stuff something up at work or they've misread something and then you kind of go back to them and help them fix it. And then they're like, oh yeah, I sorted it out now. And you're like, um, what about a like, oh, sorry, that was me. Oh, I'm so sorry. Like, you know, I've bothered you or whatever. Like you can just see it's the way that they handle it, not the fact that they missed it in the first place. It's their response once it's all sorted. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You can really see someone's character traits instead of having to ask them about them. Mm. And everyone makes
2: mistakes in their career. And I've seen it where people make mistakes and they try and sweep it under the rug. And especially in my line of work, you'd like, don't do that. Just own it. You know, if you put the wrong number on a form or something like that, like just straight away go, oh, you know, I messed up. Let's fix this. Let's fix it. It's so much easier to fix the issue if you just bring it up straight away as opposed to three months down the line. Someone goes, Why is this all incorrect? And yeah, then
1: you've got to cover your tracks.
2: Yeah. And when you're dealing with money, it can compound quite a, a large amount over the months. You know, that problem, you know, can start to become quite large.
1: I am so glad I don't work with money because it would be a very bad thing. Not so good with the numbers.
2: Well, I'll have to get you as a client and then mum will have to build that confidence up a little bit.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And getting into all the good stuff, I've seen you talk lots about how your income is your biggest wealth tool. And obviously, a lot of the time you get your income from a job, which is where we come in. So tell us about that.
2: Yeah, well, especially, you know, when you're in your career and working, if you don't have many assets behind you, your income is your asset growing tool right? And I say to people all the time, it's all about the surplus you're left over with. So what comes in, what goes out, what you're left over with is how you build wealth. It is so key. You know, if you can save let's say $3,000 a month as opposed to $2,000, well, that extra thousand bucks can pay off debt faster. That can go to your superannuation, that can be invested, that can build your emergency fund. You know, it could be the bigger holiday or, or buying the dream home. You know, there's so many things you can do with it. But if you have zero surplus at the end of each month, and I know it's difficult with the cost of living and everything right now, I'm definitely not saying it's easier, but the healthier that you can make that surplus now, the more that you can sacrifice now, the less you have to sacrifice in the future. Because then you've got time, you've got compounding on your side. 10, 20 years from now, you'll look back and go, Holy crap, look how far I've come. And then your income isn't your most important thing because you've got this massive pool of assets that you can actually live off and draw down on and retire early on if you need be.
1: Yeah. And for a lot of our listeners, they're sort of, you know, early to mid career. So, like you said, maybe don't have a lot of other assets. So, yeah, their income really is their biggest wealth generator. And, Something that Sarah likes to talk about a lot is how your income when you're weighing up career options, the job you take, you're, you need to be thinking about long-term wealth and so whether a job is right for you, it might be the best option in this moment, the m- most money right now, but which job and career path might give you the longest longevity with you know your ability for your income to grow and for you to upskill and progress?
2: Yeah, if, if there's a ceiling on the job that you're going to now, it might be more income now, an extra twenty grand a year now, but there's no progression there. Whereas if you might take a lower paying job that's got room to climb, and the thing is too, if you take a job that you're more passionate about, that's going to drive you to climb. You know, if if you're working in a field that you really enjoy and you want to get better and better at, you're going to be climbing so much higher as opposed to someone who's you know miserable in their job but making that extra ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars a year. Like, is it really worth it?
0: I love that you mentioned a ceiling because I think a lot of people don't think about the ceiling of what their income is. And I often have to talk people through they're choosing between two different roles or they're feeling jealous about hey this person is in this specialist role and they're being paid more than me and I'm you know meant to be their manager and I'm getting less and I often go straight to talking about ceilings that person in the specialist role has already capped out what they're able to earn you're only at the beginning of what you're able to earn in that manager role you've got another 100,000 that you can potentially earn they've stopped so if you can swap to that role but you you've lost the rest of your runway of being to increase your income later on?
2: 100%. That's the thing. A lot of people, they want the gratification now. So I want that extra 20 or 30 grand now that that person's getting, you know? They can't see forward looking. But that's the thing. Like you either sacrifice now or you sacrifice later. The only difference is when we sacrifice now, we get to choose, you know, what we're sacrificing. Whereas later, it's usually thrust upon us. We don't have the choice of, you know, like say you earn a lower income for your career. Well, then maybe that might mean that, you know, your retirement's not as good. You don't get to take as big a holidays or you have to work longer or whatever it might be. It's thrust upon you. Whereas if you have the sacrifice now of, you know, I'm going to better myself by getting a degree or, you know, going for this job or putting myself out they're asking for that pay rise, you know, whatever it might be. The more that you put the effort in now, the easier it becomes.
1: Yes. And I love that you just mentioned pay rises because a lot of our listeners get big fat pay rises because they shoot their shot and they deserve it and they're amazing. But in terms of getting that pay rise, it's all good and well to celebrate. But how do we ensure that when that first big exciting pay rise comes in, we aren't just wasting it with lifestyle creep or letting it aimlessly fizzle away? How do we have clear plans about what we're going to do with that?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. And it's is one answer, a one word answer. It's discipline right? It's the same yeah. as if you, if, you go to, if you go to Woolies <laughs> and you buy three blocks of chocolate, when you get home, you don't need all the three blocks. Well, you know, you shouldn't, I should say, you shouldn't eat all three blocks. You might space it out over a fortnight or a month or however long it's going to take you. And it's the same thing, right? So, when you're getting that pay rise, you've got to think to yourself, what does this actually mean? What can I do with this money? So, lifestyle creep is when you spend what you earn. So, the more you earn, the more you spend. Now, if you can sit down and say, well, you know, I was living on Four grand a month. Do I really need to start living on six grand a month? You know, what's that? What can that extra two thousand dollars do? And once you start to unpack it and really, and this is a primary part of our job and what we do is reverse engineer things. So you know, you've got this goal at you know to retire at fifty-five. You're currently thirty. Where are you going now? Are you on track for that goal? If not, what do you need to do to get there? And then we can reverse engineer each step that you need to take. And sometimes I've had conversations with clients where I said, look, for you to get there you need to make an extra 20 grand a year. you know. So if you really want that goal, you need to actually do this. And it's resulted in clients going to their boss and saying, I want to do this and I want to buy this home and I need an extra 20 grand a year. What can I do to get there? How can I make that pay rise happen? And a lot of the time people are so shocked to realize that it just can sometimes be as simple as asking, you know, what do I need to do to get this? And then you've got a clear roadmap on how to get there.
0: Yeah. Or like what's the next step? I think that's the thing too. It's like, not how do I get 20K extra tomorrow, but how do I get into that job that will give me that? Or is there a experience I need to get now so that I have content for the interviews that I'm going to go for in six months' time? Yeah, kind of planning that out backwards. I love that idea, and it's so funny to hear you say discipline is the answer because that's so challenging and something that I have definitely struggled with. I've gotten much better with money, but I find it better when I take myself out of the equation and automate as much as possible so that I'm not having to make decisions all the time. Do you get people saying? With things like pay rise or bonuses or inheritances or unexpected money, that they feel like, oh, but I want to enjoy it. I want to do something fun with it first before I do the sensible thing. Because I think that's the slippery slope. I've just got this big promotion. I've worked so hard. I want to buy something nice. And then later I'll save. And then it all just kind of spirals. Yeah. And
2: look, there is nothing wrong with enjoying yourself. If you work hard, there's nothing wrong with you know, going and buying something nice. And this is where a budget really comes in handy, right? And a lot of people hate the B word. I hear the word budget (laughs) and they think it's something restrictive and I don't want to do this. And a budget is just making a conscious decision of where your money's going. Where am I spending? Doesn't mean that you can't go and buy a $5,000 Louis Vuitton handbag if you want. There's nothing wrong with that. If that's how you want to spend your money, it's your choice. But with a budget, you make the conscious decision to do so. So you're writing it down. I'm allocating 5000 dollars on money here. And then I know, you know, what my groceries are, what my rent is, everything else. It's just knowing where your money's going. And once you start to really reverse engineer where else that money could go and what the outcome could have been, you'll start to think a lot more about it. So, you know, and there's very a lot of similarities between health and wealth. So again, you know, it's like a good diet. If you're on X amount of calories a day, You'll start to learn what's in things and, oh, I could eat three of those for one of those, you know, and then that'll get you thinking about what you're actually doing. It's just doesn't mean you still can't eat that bad thing, but you'll make that bit of a conscious decision. There's a bit more of a barrier there.
1: I like imagining how many hours of work something is. Like, would I work a whole work day for that? Like, ew, no, that's so horrible.
2: The big one I'm keen on is the, like a compound interest calculator. So Money Smart, which is ASIC's website, has the easiest one. And just put in 20 years, whatever your time frame is, the average share market return, so in Australia it's almost 10%, and then put that money in. So if I save that $5,000 a year, where would that be in 20 years? And by the time you see the compounding, you're like, oh crap, that would have been 400 grand or something.
1: That feels addicting, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good hack. <laughs> just have that in your favorites tab. And every time you want to impulsively buy something, just put it in that calculator. It's just understanding the trade offs,
2: right? Everything we do has a trade off. You know, if you go on a holiday and you spend 20 grand, well, that money could have paid off debt faster. And they're both good things, but it's about understanding what you want to do and what the trade off is for you. There's a really fine line between setting yourself up for the future, but still enjoying yourself along the way. So you've got to find where that line is for you and and what the trade-offs are going to be.
0: Totally. I see some of the people in the kind of fire movement, and I think, I don't want to live like that. It, like, it's not worth it. The juice is not worth the squeeze of like living with nothing and so that you can retire early. But I like the kind of saying or thinking about it this way when you're saying yes to something, you're saying no to something else. What is that no that you're saying? You know, is it however many extra years of working at the end of your career? Oh, that might be enough to make that a different choice.
2: Yeah. And look, the thing that you like, usually financial decisions and lifestyle decisions butt heads a lot. So, the thing for you to do that's best financially is probably not something that's going like buying your dream home can be a pretty bad financial decision because that money could have gone to an investment property or further investments or what would travel travel is a great example right it's dead money but from a financial point of view terrible decision, but from a lifestyle point of view, so me as an example, I wouldn't trade, you know, the wedding that me or I've had in Tuscany for the world. It was phenomenal. And we talk about it every week, you know, we'll be you know, saying, I remember, the Like, how cool was that? How cool was this? So it's something we always come back to, but like financially, that money could have been better spent elsewhere. But from a lifestyle point of view, that was what we wanted to do. And it was achieving that goal. And everyone's different. Like everyone has different things that they want to do and different things that make them happy.
1: Yeah. And when you mentioned before the dreaded B word, how do you make sure that you're not being the person that like transfers your whole pay into your savings and then periodically has to transfer back because you just were so unrealistic? <laughs> yeah, the all or nothing.
2: So many people do it. They're so unrealistic because I think it's James Clear, he's quote, that you, you don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems. And People have these goals that they want to, I only only want to spend a hundred bucks a month at the pub and that's it. Whereas no, you spend a hundred bucks a week at the pub. Be realistic. Like you go there with your mates every Friday, you have beers, you have dinner, like, you know, so be realistic. And then once you're realistic, you can really sit down and say, okay, well maybe I'll just spend 80 bucks a week and that extra 20, I'll do that for three months and see how it goes. And like any habit forming, you get better and better and better, but don't make a budget that's what you want to do. Make a budget that is what you do, you know, not your goal, but what you actually spend. Uh, And then from there, tweak it.
1: We always talk about this. About being the person you know you are and not what you aspire to be. Like the guitar example always comes up. No, I don't want to learn guitar. I want to want to be the kind of person that would learn to play the guitar.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Do you want it or do you want to want it? And I'm always telling Emma, you're not a better person suddenly in the future. If you went to the pub every Friday, even though you've always tried not to go, you're not suddenly going to be able to say no. Like you're going to still want to do the things that you did in the past. You can change, but you're not magically a new person in the future. I think sometimes we fall into that trap of thinking, oh, I know I've caved into that every other time, but in the future, it'll be different. (laughs) Like, why will it be? How's that going to change?
2: And this is again, where like the health and wealth analogy comes in, like people going, I'm not going to eat chocolate for six months, you know? And then after three weeks, they crack and then they are eating whole blocks every night. Like, yeah, It's everything's good in moderation. So, you know, if you're on a diet, just eat a little bit of chocolate here and there, you know, Uh, work hard for a fortnight, get your step count in, go to your gym, you know, as many days as you need. And then, you know, every second Sunday reward yourself with something that you're going to do. And it's the same with your money. Like if you are achieving your goals and you're hitting the targets you want to hit, reward yourself, you know, go buy that handbag or have that holiday and then go on to the next goal. But being in this you know, Nazi regime where you can't do anything and can't enjoy yourself. It's just not sustainable and that's when people fail.
1: And you'll be transferring back into your spending account.
2: Yeah, and then overspending.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's because you've already spent it and then what you're actually transferring back for is like the necessities. That's when it becomes really hard because you've already spent the discretionary money. Um, I really like the reframe of like a budget as like a spending plan. That really helped me kind of understand when you're sitting down and going, okay, how much would I like to spend on new clothes and new skincare every fortnight? And being able to go, oh. How much would I like to give myself to spend? It made it like a positive thing as opposed to how much I'm going to cut from different areas. And then you get to play with the numbers and say, what if I decrease that? What if I increase that? And then you've got a little account there with a label on it that says, this is what I'm allowed to spend that for. It feels like, oh, I've just, you know, I've got this little gift to myself. What am I going to do with that money?
2: And that's the thing. It's the psychology behind it. You're rewarding yourself as opposed to so many people have a negative relationship with their money. Whereas if you can turn it into a positive relationship where you get to do this, you get to go and enjoy yourself. And when you start hitting your goal, let's say you allow yourself 200 bucks a month for, for those expenses you know, in one month you might only spend 170 and it'll feel really good because you haven't gone over your budget. And, you know, you might go over here and there, it happens, but you'll start hitting your goals and it'll start having, it it just snowballs. It's that positive snowball effect where you'll start doing other things in your life really, really positively. And before you know it, you're 10 years down the line, you're like, oh, I've got a couple of properties and my share portfolio is doing well and the soup is really healthy. And, you know, I'm getting up early each morning and exercising and all of these things just fall into place, but it's always starting that's the hardest, right?
0: Yeah there's another kind of common misconception and I think there's a quote that goes something like we overestimate what we can do in a day, but underestimate what we can do in a year. And that's just true of human behavior. I think that's the thing with a lot of finance is that we are not logical beings. If you think that that's true, I have bad news. We are not. We're just not capable of that. We're humans and we have all kinds of logic fallacies. So you can't math your way out of finance problems or health problems or job problems. There's so much behavior and psychology kind of involved with it. So yeah, I actually on a bit of a side note, change of topic, you mentioned, you know, looking back and thinking, okay, I've got this property and I've got my share portfolio. Where do you sit on the debate? What do you kind of back for your clients in shares versus property? I've had this debate so many times with property fanatics um, at work. I know what he's going to say. He's going to
1: say, diversify.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, look, a two-word answer. It depends. It depends on you. Like, For me, it could be good right now to go buy a property and for Emma, it could be the worst decision. So it completely depends on your situation, where you're at, what you want to do, what your goals are. Like every single person is different. Like if I had $10 every time someone said, okay, if I give you 10 grand, what would you, you know, what do you do with it? The answer is it depends, you know, what's important to you? Do you have kids that you want to send to private school and you need to save their education or, you know, do you plan on not having kids and your goal is to travel every single year? You know, do you already own property? Do you already have a shared portfolio? You know, how old are you? You know, when do you want to stop working? Like, How safe is your job even? Correct. Yeah. Then, you know, there's so many factors to take into place and there's no right or wrong answer. It really depends on what you're trying to do. But in saying that, in Australia especially, property has the benefit of leverage. So if I have 100 grand in the bank and I put that into shares and let's say I get a, you know, roughly the average almost 10% return in Australia, that's 10000 bucks I made. Now with property, I can take that 100 grand and go buy a $600,000 property, obviously with that $500,000 mortgage, and if I get the average return in Australia of roughly 6% the last 100 odd years, what's that? $36,000. And the property would go up by in value in that one year. So, you're $26,000 better off. But the whole point of that is you've just taken out a $500,000 mortgage. So, it's the risk, right? So, property will grow more. The leverage, any asset that you leverage will grow at a faster rate because it's a larger asset size, but it's risky. And again, you've got to see what level of risk, you know, maybe that property is too risky for you, you know, whereas it's spot on for us. Maybe you should only buy a $500,000 property or it depends on your situation and how much risk you can take on.
0: And if you can handle the cash flow, if it's a negative cash flow asset, um, all that comes into it too. And liquidity, like, yeah, I'm a big fan of shares because of all those reasons, because you can't kind of liquidate half your property if something happened and you needed to change strategies. So yeah, the flexibility is there. It's at a special launch price, never to be seen again. Get more information at interviewboss.com.au forward slash interview dash academy. It's linked in the show notes below. What are some kind of share myths? Because um, I think a lot of people think of that as like scary and risky and they think of like GameStop, Robinhood, like day trading kind of things when it comes to shares. There is. Like
2: really it's, there's lots of myths and people get freaked out about a lot of things, but it's breaking down the rules of if you buy a good investment and you're never forced to sell it. So like you said with property then, right? If you need $10,000 and you have to sell your property to get that, you might be in a bad position. It could be a bad time for tax or the market's down, But if you're investing money that you don't need to touch, so you're never ever forced to sell it, you sell it when you want to, then you know that as long as you're buying just a good asset, it's going to do what it needs to do over the longer term because there are good shares and there are bad shares. Um, you know, there's good property and there's terrible property.
1: And I've lived in some of those terrible properties as a <laughs> uni student, haven't I? <laughs>
2: you know, haven't we all? Haven't we all? Mm.
0: <laughs> those terrible properties might have been a great financial investment though. That's the thing. That's how yeah. they ended up so run
1: down. Oh, 100%. Preying on uni kids that are living in mould while you roll in $700 a week. Perfect investment.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, so it depends on your situation, right? And there's like, when you look at shares, like what happens is we call it barbecue talk, right? Where someone at a barbecue goes, oh, my friend just started this company or invested in this company. You've got to buy it. And then they do it. And then it goes wrong for that person. It's
0: it's a specky miner. <laughs> yeah,
2: correct. <laughs> so
0: oh but they're definitely going to find gold they've got lithium you know
2: <laughs> oh I hear it so often and it's always the most common phrase you hear is you know what's going to be the next afterpay um, you know what can I buy for $2 it's going to be worth 150 in six months
0: that's kind of funny now though because I'm like mm, really don't really want to buy that if it's the next afterpay actually
2: <laughs> well it depends on what time you sold I actually and this thing just shows you like me myself as an advisor I've made mistakes with investing like I bought afterpay at I think $6 or $7 and then when I got to 14 i was like oh this is great i'm out of here i'm taking my winnings and then like six months later it was like 150 dollars so i was like oh god i could have like 10x my money so you know no one's perfect but the way you break through these myths or you know the fear of investing and fear of moving forward is just to understand things so the more education you have around
1: knowledge
0: is power
2: spot on yeah
0: Oh, that's the same for interviews too. That's what we kind of always talk about with job search. Yeah, absolutely.
2: The more you understand how things work, what you're trying to achieve, what the outcomes, you know, going to be, what my goals are, the more education you have around that circumstance, the more confidence you're going to have on whether that's the right move for you or not. And, you know, we still might make mistakes here and there, but you're going to be much better off just doing the simple things correctly when you're educated on them. And really when you break it down, it doesn't have to be complex. It can be simple.
0: As long as you get it roughly right, I think you're you're going the right direction.
2: Yeah. In the ballpark area and you're fine.
1: (laughs) In some lighthearted insights, any insights on top earning dollars? You would see a lot. You probably can't disclose their personal situations to us, but any trends or industries that you notice that are high paying?
2: Well, Tech is the number one right and the big thing with tech and especially for the last decade is a lot of tech companies will have share plans as well so I've dealt previously with employees of, of Google Apple Amazon where they might be on a three four five hundred thousand dollar salary but then also get, worth of shares every year. And, you know, in the last 10 years when the shares have gone, you know, those $300,000 are now worth $800,000. And that's happened every single year. People get very wealthy with tech. At the moment, we've seen a lot of We get a lot of inquiries and seen a lot of people move around the Middle East area. So you've got Saudi Arabia, Dubai, massive hotspots, lots of jobs going, crazy money. I had a client the other day who just got a job offer for the equivalent of 1.8 million Australian in Saudi and it's all tax-free. They have no income tax in these countries as well.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that's the best thing. A friend of mine from uni got an offer to transfer with their company to Dubai and looking into it, it was a pay rise. But also the main thing was you pay hardly any tax on any income that you earn. So it was all bottom line. Like that's super attractive.
2: Yeah. And so this client, for instance, he was a three-year contract and he goes, I could go work three years and make almost $6 million and keep every set. Like that will set you up for the rest of your life. (laughs) So
1: give me his number. I'm going. (laughs) You need a referral.
2: (laughs) A referral. If he buys a home over there, we'll go for a little holiday maybe. Yeah, go visit. (laughs) Networking.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 But over there, there's, you know, there's construction is massive over there, the construction industry. So it's, it's not a lot of people think, oh, to go work in somewhere like. Saudi Arabia have to be in government or tech or IT or something like no there is so many jobs over there that you can get that you know you might be on hundred thousand dollars a year now in a construction job and over there you might have a job offer for 500k you've just got to start reaching out and start looking and I feel like people are so close that they just look around them they don't look you know externally too far
0: yeah or they wait for someone in their network immediately or someone they can talk to who's done it in order to know that it's even possible that's so true getting onto it that's really your area of expertise at the moment that you're kind of specializing in so tell us about financial considerations taking a job in a new country like what are the things that people need to think about or the common mistakes like stuff that you want to share with our listeners with that
2: There's so much to think about right? with this one. So what I will stress, and it's probably, you know, sounds like I'm trying to push my own services or the services of advisors, but get help is the number one thing you need to do. It is so complex. Like, for instance, if you're, let's say you have a job offer in America as opposed to a job offer in Singapore, completely different of what you should do and why you should do it in terms of what to do with your super back here, your investments, your property. It all depends on where you're going, what the offer is, how long it's going to be for the big thing you need to know or the big thing that i suppose we do and we know is the tax agreements between the countries so, do we have a double tax agreement in place? What are the rules about what happens? You know, what are you going to be taxes over there on your job as opposed to if you were to stay here? It's about that scenario analysis of it all.
1: What's a double tax agreement?
2: So, when two countries have a tax agreement with each other. So, for instance, we have a double tax agreement with America, meaning that if I, you know, live in America and, and make a salary over there, it really won't be taxed in Australia. And there can be tax credits that go back and forth. So, if I pay 10 grand tax in America... I might get a $10,000 tax credit in Australia. So, you're not being taxed twice.
1: That sounds like a crime. Why should people be taxed twice? That's awful. Don't do that. Because you're still earning income
0: in Australia. Is that where it gets complicated where you've got assets still in Australia that earn an income, but you're also earning overseas? Yeah,
2: because there's assets that will be taxed. In, like, so, for instance, a property in Australia will be taxed in Australia. But shares in Australia might not be taxed in Australia. And every country is different. And this is a thing where just get help or just ask the question because once you learn about what you can do and what you can't do in these countries in terms of your income and building assets, that's a factor that's going to have an impact on your decision making. And that's something we do a lot with our clients or prospects, I should say, even. We have people come to us who say, I've gotten this job offer. What do you think I should do? You know, can we weigh it up and see what the options are going to be? and For most people getting a job offer overseas, it's usually quite lucrative. You know, most people aren't going to move overseas for the same amount of money that I'm now, unless they want to travel. Like most jobs are quite lucrative. So usually it's a good decision to go. But again, you've just got to weigh up the pros and cons of it all.
0: And what about people coming into Australia? Is it all the same considerations? Like is Australia good when it comes to looking after people who might be moving here from overseas in terms of tax agreements or is it simpler or is it the same as going the other way? In terms of are we good? I don't know if I use the word good. We have high, very high tax rates
2: in Australia compared to all of the other places. But again, it depends on where you're coming from, what assets you have. Like for instance, let's say I was moving to Australia from the States but I've got no assets. Well, there might be no implications at all.
1: Yeah. Assets is the
2: challenging part.
1: Do you have an example of a power move, like someone that's moved from somewhere to somewhere, which was the sweetest recipe, like inspire everyone to move there. Yeah. Or a certain decision they had to make
0: in order for it to work out really well. Like they had to sell their property first or like something that made a big difference.
2: Yeah. I'm dealing with a client now. It's, It's not a crazy story and there's definitely some higher dollar values with clients we deal with but you know dealing with some clients now and they're just really nice everyday people want to start a family living in Singapore they've got a property in Australia they're considering selling but their goal is to be in Singapore for five or six years move back and then buy their dream home and for them like the planning process and what we've gone through has given them the confidence that they can start having children in the next year or two when they plan and they can still have that dream home when they come back here even with the property sale with their selling their property though there's going to be a bit of a tax implication but with some strategies we're going to save a fair bit of tax but someone like that is much more what I feel personally is a great story because it's, it's everyday people right? people can relate to it these guys are just you know they're in their early 30s they're you know on okay incomes they're just everyday people and they're getting an awesome result and the confidence of we can have our dream home when we come back you know we can start a family and do it comfortably and you know even though we're going to sell this property now we know that the aren't going to be as extreme as they could have been. So I feel like they're the best stories with the everyday people.
0: Where it has an impact on their actual life outcomes.
2: Yeah. I've had a client once uh, dealing with a nurse and she was in her early sixties and she sat down and she said, I can't retire until I'm 75. I'm just, I'm a single mother. I've got raised three kids. There's no way I'm going to be able to, I have to keep working until 75. She lived, you know, very frugal. like she, she didn't spend much at all. And we sat there and went through the, the process and At the end of the meeting, I said, well, you could retire tomorrow if you wanted to. With what you spend, with what you want to do, and with the age pension kicking in in a couple of years and what you've got in super now, you could quit your job tomorrow. And she just burst into tears. And you could tell she just had this mindset that she'd have to work for another 12 years and she was exhausted. And three months later, she rang me up and said, I'm just going to part-time. I'm just working two days a week now.
0: That's awesome.
2: Uh, Next time I saw her, she was so happy. Like she was over the moon. That's the thing. It's like, it's just an everyday person, but something like that, like, just getting a bit of help and a bit of education, and a bit of coaching on your money can completely change your life. And people have these presets of what they can do and can't do. Um, you know, there's assumptions of, well, I have to do this or, yeah, my parents did that, so I have to do this. And it could be completely wrong for, you know, what you actually want to achieve.
0: Have you tested it? Have you actually run the numbers and looked at it? And I love the idea that, like, she didn't quit the next day. That's kind of not the point. It's about, like, oh, I have a choice. Now I get to go. What do I want? Oh, actually, I don't want to stop working straight away, but I have the option to go part time. Like it's choices that you get back.
2: Spot on. It's it's the freedom of choice, and that's where you want to get to is the point where you can choose what you want to do. And I have like teachers are the funniest because I, I used to work for a superannuation <laughs> company and we dealt a lot with do teachers. Teachers
0: in your family?
2: <laughs> there's a few. There's a few, but every <laughs> single teacher I've ever dealt with, or ninety percent of them, said. I want to quit as soon as possible. Mm, <laughs> I, don't. <the> <laughs> I want to quit. I
1: love you, teachers. <laughs> you're not paid enough. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they would retire, and I swear, within a term or two, they're all back casual. Oh, I'm just doing two weeks stuck at the old school. Like it was so common that they would go back to work. So even though you it's the freedom of choice, knowing that you don't have to work. You've got that money down. You're supported that you can do the things you want to do. But so many people still work, like they'll go back to something or they might go work for a charity or, you know, something they're more passionate about, but it's a massive pay cut. But if you can get that freedom of choice,
0: like that's the end goal, right?
1: Yeah. We all need something to do. People go crazy doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And we deal with a lot of teachers as well.
0: Like I've coached quite a few with interviews who are trying to get out of teaching. I think that's very common. Shout out if you're trying to get out of teaching. It's absolutely possible if that's really what you want to do. But I always say when it comes to burnout that two people can be doing the exact same stressful hours, you know, demands on them, dealing with difficult people. One person is fine and loving it and thriving and the other person can be burnt out from that very same thing. And I think a lot of it is what's going on outside of that, but also your attitude to what you're kind of going through at the time. And that same person is like teaching in the exact same classroom in the exact same school that they said they hated and was horrible and all these things. But knowing they don't have to be there anymore, nothing else has actually changed. It's just a whole different approach. And again, like if you're grinding it out and it's your dream job and you're so excited that you finally work. In the area you want, all those hours, easy. It's having no effect on you physically, like the same person who feels trapped and stuck can be really burnt out. So I think it's not always black and white and you have to make the decision for you, but all of that can such be a factor on your happiness.
2: Mm. And the thing is like the way to negate that, to get to that stage where you can feel, because it's a big weight on your shoulders, right? If you aren't happy where you are, but you don't have the means to leave. The way you negate that financially is the sooner you start, the better. So it's the old saying, you know, the best time to plant a tree was yesterday, the second best time is today. So the sooner you start just doing things and the younger you are, the better because it means you can really start to grow your wealth and have that nest egg. So when you are in your 50s or 60s, you've got the opportunity to take a step back or just take a sabbatical for two years and then go back to work. You'll have complete choice. But I tell you, if I've had $10 for every time someone said to me, I should have done this 10 years ago, you know, I've been doing this podcast from a beach in Mexico somewhere. It doesn't matter where you are right now. The most important thing is what you're going to do today and then tomorrow. So, you know, if you're 59 and you've never invested, start today.
1: I endorse that. That's my pet hate when someone wants to mumble like, oh, well, if we should have just had it, I'm like, shut up. It's banned in my house. It reminds me and my partner of like a dad energy that's like mumbling like, oh, well, that's not the way I would. It's like, oh. I hate that. (laughs) Not welcome. Can't change it. We can only go forward. Oh, I hear it a lot when people talk about
0: degrees, like they hate what they're doing, but they're like, oh, but that, you know, to do that, that'd be four years or whatever. I'm like, the four years is going to pass anyway. Yeah. Like you don't get to stop
1: time if you don't do the degree. Like I don't want to be 30 and still at uni. Well, guess what? You're going to be 30. Regardless, so you may as well hey, be you. Like, you're still going to be
2: 30. And I feel like people don't realise how interchangeable skills are. Like you could have a teaching degree and then want to go work in you know a completely different field. And as long as you can present yourself and say, well, look, this is how these skills work here. Like if you want to go work in finance, all my job is, is teaching people about their money and helping them with their money. There <laughs> you just go, teachers,
0: so-
1: sidestep. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like as well, you, it's not just about telling them the information. There's a lot of influencing in teaching too. How do I get these kids to do what they need to do? Again, how do you get your clients to do what they should do? Can you present it in a different way that's more attractive? attractive? attractive.
2: Yeah. And the the end goal with every client I have is I want you doing this stuff yourself. Like, I'm always a big fan of if you want to do anything properly, get a coach and get someone in your corner who can help you. But at the end of the day, I want you coming to me saying, Oh, we're thinking about A, B and C and me to say, that's spot on. That's exactly what I would do. That is great. You know, you want people to continue to better and better themselves. And, you know, some people are at level three. Their goal is just to get to level four. Other people are at level 50. Their goal is to get to level 51. Everyone's personal goal is just to get to the next step of where you are. But too many people get scared that they're too old or should have done this before or, you know, should have started 10 years ago or, you know, I don't want to go get that four-year degree, you know, too much time. And at the end of the day, like, if you have that mindset, you're going to end up being in your 60s looking back going, shit, look at all the things that I missed out on. And you know, I should have got that degree in my 30s. I should have done that. You're going to have regrets.
1: We don't want any regrets here. No regrets. Yeah, no regrets. <laughs> is that over yet, the regrets thing? No, I still that... say that all the time.
0: That's my credo, no regrets. hmm <laughs>
2: <laughs> Can my thumbnail on the thing be me, my, my head on the guy? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great <laughs> idea.
1: How to have no money regrets. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, my God.
0: <laughs> That's exactly what we're going to do. We're definitely and doing it. Here that. at
1: Interview Boss, we're all about... Practical tips. We want people to listen to episodes and feel empowered that, right, there's something I can do right now. If there's anything you can recommend that's, you know, small or big that people can go home and actually practically do to improve their financial situation, what would it be?
2: First and foremost, write down your goals. So people write down their goals with, you know, health and relationships, but with money, their goal might just be save $10,000. And it's really ambiguous. Like, write down some specific goals, and it doesn't just have to be the transaction. So save $10,000. The goal with your money could be, I want to get better at sticking to my budget or, you know, I want to understand more about the assets that I hold. You know how many people own superannuation? Any working Australian has superannuation and so many of them have no idea what it is and how it works.
0: Translation for US listeners, that's your retirement savings. Most of that, I think surely in most places around the world, or at least a chunk of that will be invested in in shares.
2: And I've seen it so many times where it'll be invested in cash and people go, "Why, why am I getting such a bad return? And you're like, well, let's actually delve into what it's doing.
0: Oh, my God. You know, the thing that I hear the most that makes me cringe, There's well, there's two things. One is, oh, my super's gone down. Should I transfer it all to the low risk one? It's like you're 20 years old please don't do that. You're crystallizing that loss. Do not do that. And that comes back to that golden rule, like you never want
2: to be forced to sell investments. So, when it's, I can't remember the exact stat off my head, but it's about 80% of the market's best days happen within two months of the downfall, effectively. So, If you, at the bottom of the market, are freaking out because let's use the pandemic as an example. You know, the market's gone down 40%. So your 100 grand's gone down to 60. You're freaking out. All the days that are going to start to get you back are going to happen pretty close to that bottom. And that's when most people freak out and they'll crystallize the loss. And then in two or three years, they'll get back in and they've just missed out on all of those gains. So it's usually one of the worst things that you can do.
1: You got to hang out at rock bottom for a while. Stay down there, pitch a tent. And also, Em, I would say...
0: If you're not in the in the place to actually look at it and, and not freak out about it, don't look at it. Like go in there and make sure it's in the right investment and then never look at it again.
2: Yeah. There's studies that show financial advisors can add 2 or 3% of return just from helping people not make bad decisions like that, like the behavioural decisions. And I've had clients call me up and say, oh, my God, this is happening in the world. Should I change things? No, stay the course. Our, our plan is already risk mitigated.
1: You're kind of a glorified counselor aren't you like relax everything's fine don't panic <laughs> de-escalating that's another you could be a crisis like hotline worker or something
2: <laughs> yeah, well it really is and that's like even when like studying like so doing my master's one of the subjects is a like, client engagement and when you do that it's all about like a lot of financial advisors will know so much about their clients because people come to you and at the start you know it takes the time to open up once you're close with a the client they'll tell you everything and anything Hey, well, I really want $30,000 in my bank because, you know, my son this and that and I need to help him with this and, you know, we're, we're trying to do this and like people, and especially once they start talking about something, you know, I'm, oh, my mum's sick, so we need to start planning for a possible inheritance. They'll really open the floodgates and, you know, I'm not doing well because mom's sick and I'm struggling with this and I just want to make sure my money's not an issue. Like sometimes... You know, meetings we have with clients are 95% talking about things that aren't money, um, talking about their life and, and how they're doing and what they want to do. So, it is a massive job or massive component of financial advice is that counseling and therapy, for lack of a better word. Not that I'm an authorized therapist.
0: <laughs> Money's just a tool, it doesn't do anything by itself other than allow you to have experiences and deal with life. So,
1: do you ever fall down the money is a made up concept rabbit hole? <laughs> I think the more you learn about
0: crypto, the more you do that because you inherently have to understand that like our whole financial system is made up. That everything is.
2: Like in this home that I'm living in that we own, look, who's to say that someone can't walk in the door and say, this is my house now. I own yeah. it. You know, like everything that we do in life is made up and that's, that's what life is. Uh, it's a big made up journey. That's why like don't take things so seriously. Like enjoy it. Have fun with it. Um, the more that you enjoy what you're doing, you'll get ahead so much further in every other aspect of your life, especially with your money. If you hate shares, you know, obviously shares are important, but don't sit there and look at the share market every single day and look at the numbers that you hate doing. Outsource it and make it a way that's fun. Make it a way that's enjoyable and say, well, if I was to do this, then I get to have this European holiday. And I'm going to focus on the European holiday that I get from that, not the actual transactions of how to get there as as such.
0: Yep, love it. So once we've set some goals, what else? How do we practically take action? So really, like, the place to start
2: is your budget, right? Like I was saying at the start of the chat, what comes in, what goes out, and what we're left over with is so key. So the better we can get an understanding of that, the better you'll start to progress. And again, like, shout out to ASIC, Money Smart have a really good budget worksheet you can use. It's free. Just Google it. It's so simple. Just go through figure out where your money's actually going And then once you're left over with what that surplus is, that's when we can start to take action of, okay, well I could comfortably save a thousand bucks a month. What should be my goals And Everyone's first and foremost goal should be to have an emergency fund. Have a rainy day fund, you know, with our clients we say three to six months worth of expenses. Some people just getting started, it might just be having two or three or $4,000 in the bank. That's the first place. Second place, get rid of your bad debts. <laughs> so credit cards, personal loans, all these high-interest debts. Think of it in a way, too. You're turning that negative into a positive of if I have a debt, like a credit card, and let's say it's got 20% interest, and I'm paying $100 to that, well, I've just gotten a 20% return on my $100. There's not many things you can invest in and get a guaranteed 20% return. Yeah. So if you make it a positive of paying that off, of every dollar I'm putting there, I'm guaranteeing that return. You know, So... Once we start to do that and start to get in the flow, then we'll start to say, okay, well, what else can we do? Do we look at buying property? Do we look at shares?
0: And then paying that off, you give yourself a pay rise because you now don't have that payment. You've got an extra $100 a week. That's the quickest way to get a pay rise.
2: Yeah spot on that's the thing the healthier your surplus is which really comes you know if you can reduce your expenses and that credit card might be your biggest expense if you can bring that down again your surplus becomes healthier and healthier so it's not easy like we can sit here and talk about it and then break it down but it's difficult you know it's something that's not easy to rein in your spending and think about your spending and try and make it a fun topic to have a date night with your partner once a month and say okay how do we go this month and what's our goals for next month but once you do it one two three four times you'll start to enjoy it more you'll start to build a habit and then everything else once you see the benefits you get from that you know both financially but mentally as well everything else just starts to fall into place
0: Yeah, you start chipping away at those long-term goals Awesome. Well, where can our listeners find you if they want to learn more, if they want to reach out and get some advice, maybe if they're relocating? Do you also deal with people who aren't relocating as yeah. well?
2: Yeah. So at Ally Wealth Management, we do specialize in Aussies living all over the world, but you know that could be Australia. Um, so it, it is people all over the place or people coming to Australia. It's something we do, but really you've got a few places at Wealth With Will on TikTok, couldn't get that name on Instagram. So it's at official wealth with will on Instagram. Someone, someone had taken it. So I had to put the official in there.
1: Have you been bullying them in DMs yep. saying, Oi, give me my username, <laughs> your dog? Okay.
2: Please, I'll give you some free financial <laughs> yeah. advice. Pro bono, just tell me.
1: Get the username.
2: And, um, but another great place to like LinkedIn. William Cantz, my name, so surname C A N T. look me up, connect with me on LinkedIn. We do free webinars all the time. We did a really interesting one recently, was superannuation for Aussies living in the States. Niche, I like it. Yeah, it was really niche, but it was a very, you know, like a lot of Aussies who move over there have no idea what happens to their super or what to do with it. So, we do them all the time. So, even LinkedIn integrates, so we can do that. But yeah, TikTok. Instagram, LinkedIn, I've got Calendly links and all of those. You can just book in a free chat. Yeah, what we want to do is understand what's important to you, what you're trying to achieve, and then I can help you get there for a lot of people, it might not be that you need financial advice right now. You know, it might be that the cost of it outweighs the benefits of what you'll get. But I, I had a prospect the other day, we spent about an hour and a half just doing a bit of finance 101 education for them. So, you know, they weren't a fee-paying client, but it just set them on the right path of things they need to be thinking about.
0: And then, hey, when you do X, Y, Z, that's a good time to come and see me. Like, if you don't know when you should get financial advice, find out if it's now or if it's later. And I love that you just said, not everyone needs it, because that's so true. It can be really expensive. I don't know how that is around the world, but in Australia, the regulations mean it's you know an investment. I'll rephrase it. Everyone needs financial
2: advice. Everyone would get a benefit from it, but do those benefits outweigh the cost? Sure.
1: If you're living paycheck to paycheck and you can't afford groceries, you probably don't want to splurge on it.
0: Yeah, or is that going to make a difference for them right now versus they could just still do what they're doing, like you said on the on the fundamentals, and then in X amount of time, that's when it's going to suddenly be like you're at a crossroads. It's going to make a big difference if you make the right choice now.
2: But there's so many avenues. Like you don't have to go to a fee paying financial advisor to get advice. Like call up your super fund. Hey, what am I invested in? What should I know about my fund? What's going to happen when I retire? You know, start asking questions. Even if you're, you know, on Centrelink, Centrelink have financial counsellors as well that can help you. You know, how do I set up a budget? You can ask questions there. Like, it doesn't have to be someone you go and pay a couple thousand dollars to. If you get your tax return done, ask your accountant. Hey, guys, you know, what should I be thinking about next year? There's
1: plenty of podcasts out there too. Books, on that note, any recommendations of some good reading for people?
2: There's a couple. Money Wise... Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel is phenomenal. He breaks it down, how we think about money, what we need to be thinking about, the psychology behind it all, you know, overspending, underspending, all of these things. It's really interesting. He breaks it down quite simply. But two, look, I'm, I'm going to be a bit odd here, but I listened to Arnold's new book recently, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. the oh. seven. I was like, um, who's Arnold? <laughs> everyone knows Arnie. Arnie, come on, Arnie. Seven Habits for a Useful Life or something it was cool. I can't remember. It just came out a few months ago, but I loved it. I thought that was a great book. We'll link all this below. If you take principles like that and apply them to your money, it can have that long-term benefit. But even you know, my my previous boss, Ben Nash, he's got a couple out too. Get unstuck. Replace your salary. Investing. They're both great books as well too. Again, just to break it down and simplify what you need to do. But there's so many out there. So usually just picking up something is going to be a great starting place.
0: Yep listen to it, get it in your ears, find a podcast. Sometimes with the finance ones, you have to have that country specific if you're going to be listening to tips and stuff. Advice specific kind of tips and recommendations and stuff vary a lot between countries. Like credit cards are a great example. In Australia, credit scores mean absolutely nothing. In the US, they're very important. So you're going to have to listen to someone who's going to give you something relevant, but find someone to listen to, find some groups to be in, read some books, reach out and get some of the advice options. Cool.
1: Well, thanks so much, Will. That was so (laughs) valuable. I think our listeners will be feeling motivated, ready to get that pay rise, account for it, and watch their wealth grow.
2: Mm, and that's the thing the more that you prioritize your wealth, the happier you're going to be in every other aspect of your life. So if you can bring it to the forefront and say, you know, if I save that extra dollar and if I, you know, make sure that I am doing my investments correctly or whatever it might be, the more that you can prioritize it, as I said, that little bit of sacrifice now, you'll reap the rewards later in life.
1: All about those one percenters, or should I say those one dollar coins. <laughs> my drop. <job. laughs> No, that's so bad. (laughs) Okay. Um, Episode over. Leave that in. (laughs) Nice.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Interview Boss. If you like hearing the sound of our voices, hit that follow button in Apple or Spotify, or better yet, tell someone else about the show. It's how we can hit the charts so we can help even more people. For more advice, inspiration, and to see that great Photoshopped image of Will, check us out on Instagram at Interview Boss.